again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, our get-together where we talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. And let's bring right in, without any further ado, our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. And I bring you in right away, Mark, because I think in the four years we've done this show, I cannot remember a week where both teams, the Reds and the Indians, have played as poorly as they did this past week. Well, Dave, I have a fantasy that I'd like to relate to you in the form of a newscast. And the newscast is, the Cincinnati Reds and the Los Angeles Dodgers have recently announced a trade whereby the Reds have sent newly signed Homer Bailey to the Dodgers for center fielder Matt Kemp. Now, if that were a headline that we could get behind and say was accurate, I think you'd have acclamation for a lot, lots of cheering and uh, rooting by Reds fans. But absent a trade like that, Dave, I think uh, what we experienced this past week, at least on the Reds side, uh, we're going to have a lot more of that than, than good news. Mark, you've been trying to trade Homer Bailey ever since he signed that contract. I was hoping the Reds would not sign him to that contract. I don't care who they traded him for. Uh, I don't know how you come up with math that equates that a, a 500 pitcher like Homer Bailey uh, is worth $100 million uh, over the next six years I, I, or five years, whatever the, the, the deal is. Uh, it makes no sense to me. And um, not that I'm blaming Homer Bailey necessarily for the, the results of the Reds, but he is what he is. He's a 500 pitcher. Uh, he has an ERA that is going to be in the three and a half to four and a half range. Uh, he's going to get lit up half a dozen times a year, and that is just indicative of the decision making of this organization over the last couple of years. And what is what's frightening, Dave? And again, I'd like to have you speak to this in terms of the Indians. But what is frightening for the Reds is they have nobody in double-A or triple-A, that they can bring up and help this be a better baseball team. And that is frightening, that you have no one at that level that is ready to go. And they say, well, all of our strength is in the lower minor leagues. Well, the people that are in double-A and triple-A three or four years ago, and we were told they were going to be the saviors for this organization, have proven not to be so. So why would we believe that in high A ball right now there are players that are ready to help this team in two or three years? I don't see it. Mark, there are no players for the Indians either that they can look to down in the minor leagues anywhere in the near future, uh, with the exception of maybe Francisco Lindor. I was looking at the minor league stats earlier today for the Indians. Tyler Naquin's batting two ninety four, which is just a point above where Francisco Lindor is hitting a two ninety three. But the problem with the Indians that they have is they brought up Jesus Aguilar. They brought him up over the weekend. That would be the equivalent, Mark, of what the Reds did last year when they brought up Donald Lutz. He's played in three games for the Indians so far. He's got no hits in four at-bats. And that's in three, four at-bats, no hits. He's barely hit the ball. And Saturday night, he dropped an easy double play ball to first base 
that would have ended the fourth inning, and the Indians would have gotten out of the inning, still up three to two. Instead, when the inning was over, they were down six to two after that error was committed, and that just opened up the floodgates floodgates for Oakland. Mark, I mean, the, I'm sure during the past four years, as I said, we have seen records where the Indians and the Reds have played poorly throughout the week, maybe even winless weeks. I've got to say, I cannot remember, at least the Indians as far as that's concerned, playing so poorly that the way that they did this past week, Mark, and I don't know what you feel about the Reds and the way they played this past week, but the Indians' play was just absolutely atrocious. Well, the Reds did not play bad defensively. They didn't make egregious errors on the bases. They, they pitched very well. But as I, I have said and you have said for the last two years, this team can't hit. And why is that a surprise? I mean, the, the team has not been able to hit in the clutch for, for, for several years, which is why they, they do so abysmally in the playoffs, because they, they face good pitching in the playoffs. This team cannot beat good pitching. It can't even beat above-average pitching. The only pitching it can beat is a below-average pitching, which you're not going to face in the playoffs. But I, I think one of the things that is very frustrating to me and indicative of this organization's approach is this week, uh, I think the what was the first game or the last, uh, let me see, Jeff Francis, I guess, came in and pitched this weekend for the Reds. And he, he didn't pitch terrible. He, he gave up three runs in five innings. And he has been with the Reds all year. They're bringing up for one game where he, he pitched actually better than Homer Bailey pitched yesterday. And what do they do? They released Jeff Francis. And he signed by Oakland, who is leading the Western Division of the American League. Uh, the, what was the West Division of the American League. I, I don't understand how you can make that kind of move. You I mean, this guy, you keep him on your organization all year. You're bringing him up for one game. He pitches okay. didn't pitch terrible. Pitched better than the guy... You sign for $100 million, you release the guy the next day, and they sign by a team in first place. That makes no sense to me. What, what kind of organization makes those kinds of moves? I, I, it's beyond me. Well, I think this is going to be pick on the organization night because I'm, I'm extremely upset at the Indians organization. Couple of house cleaning items. Don't forget, we've got our Ask Us segment coming up later on in the show. You can email us to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. You can also send us a tweet. Our Twitter address is at altsportstalk or at OHBB cohost. That's at OHBB cohost. All right. Here's a look at what happened during the week, Mark, for the Indians. They're 19 and 25 overall. They're in dead last in the American League Central Division, ten and a half games behind Detroit, whom they're playing tonight. The first place Tigers, 27 and 12 on the season. The Indians were one and five on the week. The one win that they had, Mark, was against Toronto. They smacked out a season high 22 hits in a 15 to four romp Wednesday night. David Murphy and Lonnie Chisenhall each had five hits, marking the first time since July 10, 1932, that at least two batters ended with at least five hits in the same game for the Indians. And the Indians have not had a pair of teammates with at least five knocks in a nine-inning game 
since, get this, Johnny Hodap and Luke Sewell delivered in a 24-6 win over the Yankees on July 29, 1928. And in the series that went on this weekend, Mark, they scored 15 runs in one game, and they can't score but six in the next three against the Oakland Athletics. They got outscored in a three-game sweep by the A's over the Indians, 30-6. to six. And it was mainly due to errors. This team right now is playing the worst I think I've seen an Indians team play since the 1970s. Well, I could I could say, hey, I I can beat you because the Reds got outscored the last two games in Philadelphia, twenty to four. But uh, the, the Reds, uh, ironically, they lead the major leagues in defense, which is stark contrast <laughs> to what you described with the Indians. And I, I think the Reds only have thirteen or fourteen errors all year, which is remarkable. And given their pitching, which has been outstanding, and arguably they have the best pitcher in baseball, Johnny Cueto, right now, which further exacerbates or, or emphasizes the fact this team can't hit. It can't hit. And the lineup yesterday was laughable. It was a laughable lineup. And anybody could have come in there and kept the Reds to two runs. <laughs> Just about anybody. So I, I think the Indians and the Reds are are failing for different reasons, but I, I would dare say if you look at the statistics, the Indians have a, a much better offensive team than the Reds. Uh, the Reds have a much better defensive team than the Indians, and I think the the the, the difference is going to be how the pitching, uh, you know, comes out in the end at the end of the day. See, I would beg to differ with you as far as the offense is concerned. When your highest paid player, Nick Swisher, and I've been one of the biggest cheerleaders of Swisher in the two years that he's been here, the, the year and a half that he's been here, Mark. And and I can tell you right now, this guy is not playing worth the $11 million that they are paying him a year. He's not anywhere near it. I thought he was a better pickup than Travis Hafner at the time, but he's the most highly paid cheerleader that you have in Major League Baseball today. Carlos Santana is another one. He's hitting, forget the Mendoza line, Mark. He's hitting below the Santana line. Carlos Santana, the rocker. <laughs> would hit better than this guy is hitting. And he's committing error after error at third base, and you've got a third baseman in Lonnie Chisenhall that you play there once a week, and then you get upset at him because he has a throwing error? I, I'm beginning to question, Mark, and I'm serious about this, whether or not Terry Francona is managing this team or if it's his granddad from the grave. I just don't know. But the moves that this team, that he's making with this team, for example, Lonnie Chisenhall is batting 350. The rest of the team is batting about 210, if you look at their team batting statistics. Michael Brantley and Lonnie Chisenhall are the only guys on this team that are hitting. But yet, they won't play Chisenhall against left-handed pitchers because they want him to keep his swing. For crying out loud, Mark, he can't do any worse against left-handed pitchers than the rest of the lineup is playing. Well, anyway, Dave, I, I respect you very much that you got a reference to Tito Francona into our, our broadcast, <laughs> number one. That's, that, that was brilliant. Uh, but, but again, I think if you, if you compare the statistics of the two teams, and, and here we are, 
comparing teams based on the misery index that we as fans oh. are, are enduring. Yes. Uh, if you take if you take Devin Messeraco, who I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, out of the equation, who's hitting 500. Uh, to put this in perspective, he's had 54 plate appearances. He's been in 15 games, and he's second on the team in RBIs. Now, that means that nobody else, the only person who has more than he does is, uh, let me see here, Ryan Ludwig and Jay Bruce have 14 each. Devin Masaraco has 17, and Todd Frazier has 21. And everybody is squeezed between 150 and 280. That's the Reds' batting average. So the Indians, I think, have more diversity. I mean, if I had to start a lineup based on what I have to deal with now with the Reds' lineup and the Indians' lineup, I still think the Indians' lineup is better. That's how bad the Reds are. Well, let, let's go down it here in just a little bit. But I want to throw another couple stats out at you as far as the Indians are concerned. This is what they have done defensively. They've entered tonight's game against Detroit with a major league leading 45 errors in 44 <laughs> games. That's over half as many, Mark, as they made a year ago in all of 2013. All of last year. I mean, that's ridiculous. And they've already allowed 28 unearned runs after giving up only 51 in the entire 2013 season. You can't win ball games like this. Can't do it. That, that, that number, the Reds have 13 errors all year. I just checked it. And the Indians have 45? Is that what you said? 45. That is... That's astonishing. That really is. They're lucky they're still in the league. Uh, they haven't been moved down to AAA. Uh, that, that, who is making most of the errors? Because if it's a it's, middle infield, you're in deep trouble. It's Santana, Cabrera, and Swisher, the infield. Now, Jan Gomes has committed four. They've been throws trying to throw out runners, and he's throwing it into center field. But he seems to have his problems figured out. He had most of those errors in the first month of the season and here in the in the month of May he's played a lot better. But most of the errors, Mark, have been mainly on just from Swisher, just ground balls going between his legs. Cabrera, he gets caught. He, he's done this his entire career, but this year it seems to be even worse where he gets caught on in-between hops at short. And at third base, whatever, Carlos Santana either can't field the ball or he can't throw the ball. He's not a third baseman. He's a DH or a first baseman. The problem is this entire Indians lineup is stock full of either DHs or first basemen. And it, it has just gone from the ridiculous to the sublime. sublime. Frankly, Mark, Nelson Cruz was out there. Kendrys Morales is still out there. They have got to do something to solidify this lineup. They went into last year with B players. And quite honestly, Mark, when you go into a season with B players, if they all play well, that's fine. 
But when the B players don't play well, suddenly they're C and D players, and that's where you run into problems. And that's what's happened to the Indians this year. Dave, uh, give me uh, – I'm just curious now that you, you raised this defensive issue. Uh, give me the errors for Santana, Cabrera, and the other infielders, individual errors. Do you have those there? Uh, I can get them for you. I know Swisher has five. Cabrera has six. Um, just to give you an idea uh, as to what they have. Santana, as a matter of fact, has six also. Um, it it is just gone. Like I said, it, it, it's it's simply terrible to try to put it succinctly. Uh, I I don't know how else you'd put it, Mark. I I don't really know, you know. And, and it's something that Terry Francona has come out and said, you know, hey, we've got to improve on this. But the problem is, how do you improve on it? Yeah, defense is something either you got or you don't, and it it comes back to haunt you throughout the year. What's amazing is the Reds' outfield has only one error this year. Uh, Brandon Phillips has one error. Zach Cozart, one error. Devin Messeraco, one. Joey Votto, three. And Todd Frazier, four. Mike Leake and Nick Cristiani, one each. So you only have 11 errors from your position players for the team, which is, again, bringing out the... The, the greatness of their defense just exacerbates and highlights the fact that their offense is so horrific because the pitching is good, the defense is good. So, David, you, okay, you're the, you're the general manager, and I'm going to tell you your team is going to lead the league in ERA, which is possible. They're starting pitching. Your defense is going to lead the league in defense by a large margin. Now, David, what do you think you need to do to improve your team? Oh, I think by far the, what this team needs to do, as far as the Indians are concerned, is put somebody in the middle of that lineup that can actually hit the ball. They don't have anybody right now that can consistently hit the ball other than Michael Brantley. They've gone throughout the entire first month and a half mark of this season with Carlos Santana as the cleanup hitter. And you cannot have your cleanup hitter hitting just under the 200 mark. When you look at Carlos Santana and his stats right now, he's hitting 152 on the year with five homers and 13 RBIs. The only positive aspect to him is that he's walked 35 times, but get this, Mark, he struck out 38. That's amazing. He's, he's not even making contact. Nick Swisher... I, th I can only remember a handful of times. Right now, Swisher is hitting 196. He's got three homers, 16 RBIs, 24 walks. Get this. Swisher has 41 strikeouts. Remember a year ago when Mark Reynolds was on the team and Drew Stubbs? Yeah. How they were so worried about how this team was going to strike out a lot, and it turned out totally the opposite. They were making contact. I remember that. This year's team has gone off the deep end as far as strikeouts are concerned. I, I, I wish I could compile the team stats very quickly, Mark, because I, I'm not that good as far as math in my head. I've got to sit down and do it. But when you look at the strikeouts on this team, they have got – let me look at it here very, very quickly. They rank 22nd. 
in the majors as far as strikeouts are concerned. And they have struck out 100, uh, no, I'm sorry, 299 times going into tonight's game as a team. Now the Reds, I'm looking at it right here, 312 times. But look at the difference in runs scored. Well, I'm even shocked at this. I thought there would be more of a difference between runs scored between the Indians and the Reds. The Indians have scored 180 runs so far this year in 44 games. The Reds have scored 150 in 42 games. But they both have about approximately the same batting average. The Indians 244 as a team. The Reds 241. Yeah, the Reds, their problem has been getting a hit in a key situation. They just don't do it. But what's even more disturbing and frustrating is that they don't even move the hitters around, the runners around. They get runners at first and second. They can't get them to second and third, where a fly ball or a ground ball would be needed. And yet, if they do it, they don't get the fly ball or the ground, the ground ball or the fly out. So I've not seen in recent times a team so inept offensively for the Reds but again, how can you be surprised over what they did last year and the year before? And why don't you go out when you have Ryan Ludwig? He's hitting 248. He's your backup for Joey Votto. He's he's the guy protecting Votto, uh, or he was at one time. And since they moved Votto around, I don't know who's protecting now. But the fact is, when, when you have so many guys striking out so often on that team. You cannot blame the Reds' performance on the fact that Joey Votto has missed now three games and Jay Bruce has missed, what, six or seven games. You can't blame that because those guys weren't hitting anyway. So the fact that they're out of the lineup hasn't really changed much. I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Jay Bruce hitting 216. He's hitting 216. He struck out 32 times in 30 games. And Joey Votto hitting two, I'm sorry, hitting 257. He struck out 31 times in 39 games. And these are your two studs, averaging probably around 230. The, 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 The frustration of the Reds fans has only just begun because we're only in May. And unless they bring in somebody who can, who can change this lineup around, and it may take more than one, but you've got to replace a Ryan Ludwig. And you've got to get somebody besides a Todd Frazier uh, hitting fourth. I mean, a Todd Frazier would be a great number seven hitter, but he's not a number four hitter, not even close to it. And that's why this team is where you said they have to be near the bottom and run scored in Major League Baseball. Let me go over some of the players here on the Indians just to kind of the good and the bad, and maybe even the ugly if we want to go that far. Lonnie Chisenhall's batting. 364. I'm just going to get down the batting averages here. Niger Morgan's injured right now. 341. But he started out the year hitting well. They sent him to the minors and then brought him back up. Why they ever sent him down, I'll never know. He was one of the few guys that was hitting. Here's David Murphy, batting 291. Boy, what a blessing he has been, a free agent signee from, from Texas. Michael Brantley's batting 287. Mike Avili's batting 283. And then Mark you go from Avili's at 283 to the next highest guy is Jan Gomes, 21 points lower. 262 for Jan Gomes. He's got six home runs. I'm just going to give you that. Michael Brantley leads the team 
with eight home runs. Then comes his Drupal Cabrera, 258. But Mark, let me tell you something. As Drupal Cabrera had a streak where he had nine hits and ten at bats, his batting average would be nowhere near 258 if he didn't have that figured in there. Michael Bourne's batting 252. Jason Kipnis is on the DL at 234. And then you know what? Everybody else, this is not a joke, everybody else is batting lower than 200. Nick Swisher, Ryan Rayburn, Santana, Aguilar, Ramirez, the whole lot of them, all hitting below 200. You can't win baseball games if you can't hit the ball out of the park and you can't get base hits with runners in scoring position. And you talk about that with the Reds, that's the same thing with the Indians. They can't do it either. Well, it, it's a sad situation where the, the, the team that you that you could have built in the wintertime, you now can't build this time of year. So it, it's going to be very tough to make any deals now. So you're, you're faced with going into the rest of the summer looking at a struggling offense that simply is not going to produce any offense. And I, I said it on our opening day this year, I have the Reds figured for fourth in the division. And, uh, you know, some people didn't like that. But unless somebody can point out to me where I'm wrong, I don't see this team going any, any higher than fourth place. And I can't figure out. I had the Indians for third. I'm searching for reasons right now to try to decide how the Indians are ever going to get out of the basement of this decision, of this division. Now, certainly, Minnesota and the White Sox, I I get them. They shouldn't be, on paper, as good as the Indians. But, Mark, this team can't field, can't hit. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Thank you, Dean Faber. Dean, or Dean Wormer, <laughs> deaf, dumb, and stupid is no way to go through life, young man. And well, the Indians can't field, can't pitch, can't hit. Well, i, I got to tell you, though, Dave, when you were reading off those batting averages, you know what happened in, in my head? I, I got jealous. What? I got jealous. Because here, <laughs> here's the starting lineup yesterday, outside of Mesoraco in the pitcher. Frazier, 258. Hamilton, 256. Ludwig, 248. Heisey, 217. Cozart, 206. Bernadina, 132. Soto, 125. That is not even a double-A lineup. And anybody they would have faced yesterday would have kept them to no runs, zero runs, or two runs. Uh, the Reds got lucky in the first inning. Uh, Mesoraco got a big hit, and somebody else drove in a run. But when you have two guys, you have... You see, you have four starters hitting 217 or below, and two of them hitting in the 120s and 130s. You're going to tell me that, that that's a winning team? There's no way. So if you bring back everybody healthy, the argument is they're suddenly going to improve. But all I say is look at the statistics of Votto and uh, Bruce before they got hurt, and those are your saviors? I, I, I don't see it. Well, we're going to talk about Matt Latos in our Ask Us segment, but let me throw this out to you right now. Jay Bruce, Joey Votto. Bruce is on the DL, so 
He's out for how long? And Joey Votto's not on the DL with a knee problem, but how long do they foresee him out? Well, if they find out today or tomorrow, I guess, they're going to make the decision. They would make it retroactive to last week. Uh, so he would be, be placed on it really last Friday. And so he'd have 10 more days on the DL if they go that route. But uh, with Jay Bruce, he is coming along much faster than they thought. He's swinging the bat well. But, again, why would you believe that those guys are going to suddenly improve when they were not playing well before they went on the DL? And, see, this is what I don't understand about the Indians. They went out, like I said earlier, thank heavens for David Murphy. And, you know, one thing I want to look up, Mark, David Murphy has been outstanding for the Indians. But you could have had Nelson Cruz for about $2 million more than what you signed David Murphy for. Murphy right now is hitting two ninety one, as I said, Three homers, 25 RBIs on the season, which is second on the Indians. Now, what I want to do is I want to look up Nelson Cruz and get the stats for him right now as far as what he has done this season for Baltimore. And and let's compare, because like I said, you could have gotten Nelson Cruz for about $2 million more because Murphy was signed for six, Cruz was signed for eight. Here's what he's doing for Baltimore, Nelson Cruz. 12 home runs, 37 RBIs, and batting 273. So you're gaining a tremendous amount. And you put Nelson Cruz in the middle of the Indians' batting order, he improves everyone as far as that's concerned for the Tribe. They could have used him and put him in right field, and he would have been a welcomed addition. Instead, we go out and get a journeyman, left-handed, hitting right fielder, which we didn't need. Now, granted, Murphy's been a good sign, but as I said, for another $2 million more, look what you could have had. Well, what frightens me is you look at these two organizations, and again, I know more about the Reds and the Indians, is the lack of the bare cupboard that you face with the Reds organization. And you look at what Johnny Cueto's doing, and he's four and two with a with a world leading one two five ERA, and he has been the most dominant pitcher these first nine games that I have I have seen. I, I can't remember other than maybe a Sandy Koufax or someone like that. He's simply unhittable. Uh, he's given up ten earned runs in seventy two innings, and his he's only given up thirty three hits. In 72 innings, which is unbelievable, you know his 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 whip is 0.71, and that is walks and hits per innings pitched, and that, that's a remarkable number. What? How big is the bank going to have to be to sign Johnny Cueto? What if Matt Latos and Cueto come on board as free agents next year, and if you make the deduction that Homer Bailey's worth a hundred million dollars? What's Cueto worth? Boy, that's a good question. And, and, and what's uh, what's Matt Latos worth? I mean, you're talking about a pitching staff that could have, and, and don't forget that in two years they got to sign um, uh, Chapman too. So, and, and Mike Leake, he's 
he's probably the best outside of Cueto, the best pitcher they got. Uh, you can have each of their pitching, each of their pitchers, at least five or six of them, making $20 million a year. Mark, the thing about these lower market, lower echelon market teams, like the Indians and the Reds, and let's just talk about those two before we go into our Ask Us segment, you have really got to have an outstanding scouting department. You have really got to have a great player development system so that you can constantly turn these players over and over because you're not going to be able to afford the players that become stars with your team. You may be able to afford one, maybe two of them, but on a consistent basis, especially if you're the Indians and you're the Dolans and have taken out such a large mortgage to buy the team when you did, and you've got such a hefty loan payment, you're not able to afford the type of players that you need to be able to afford. Now, the Reds, somehow, some way, have managed to sign Bruce, Votto, Phillips, and Bailey to some outlandish contracts, but they've got to also think about their farm system, which Walt Jockety has never been good at. That's true. You're right. He just well, he just hasn't. And the well, Indians are the same way, Mark. Well, that's why Jockety was asked to you know be shown the door in St. Louis because he his his development is let me sign some guys to big contracts. And I got to say that the Cardinals, I really admired what they did when they they cut loose pool holes because they refused to give in to an outrageous demand that could have hurt that franchise for 10 years. And they proved to be absolutely right. Now, I know they're off to a slow start this year, but I'll tell you, I, I, would, I would bet money that the Cardinals are going to be in the race at the very end of this year. Uh, the Reds won't be, based on what they have right now. <clears throat> but you have to have balance. The Reds have gone out and they, they've signed some pitching, and, but it's been all or nothing at all. They, think, think of an outstanding, outside of Joey Votto, Think of an outstanding all-star the Reds have on the roster or a potential position player in the minor leagues. They don't have one superstar in the minor leagues. And if you don't have any superstars in the minor leagues, guys hitting 330, 340, what are they going to do when they get to the big leagues? Nothing. And that's what's happened. And see, here's what drives me crazy about the Indians, Mark. Why is why Francisco Lindor and Tyler Naquin are the two most capable prospects they have right now. And I'm going to try to get Tony Lastoria on the show next week and ask him this question. But the Indians always seem to put their prized recruits at double-A in Akron rather than put them in triple-A in Columbus. Now, can you, for some reason, tell me, maybe I'm missing something here, Mark, why does a team do that? And then they bring them up from double-A rather than bringing them up from triple-A. Well, there's different, I guess, philosophical approaches on that. Some teams load up their triple-A teams. Uh, but in most cases, the talent in the minor leagues is much better at double-A. And because you have a lot of guys being pushed down to triple-A that are older, uh, they're out of options, 
and they they're they're guys who could help a team like when when the Reds brought Francis up. Uh, he's he's not going to help a Double A team, so they they put their talent at Double A, and that's just the way it is. And twenty years ago, it was just the opposite. All the talent was at Triple A. And you'd play these guys, and they'd work their way up to the big leagues. But that's just a philosophical difference in approach that Major League Baseball in mass has seemed to adopt over the last 20 years. It doesn't work. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work. The only guy that the Indians have brought up from AA in the last 10 years that has been able to play Major League Baseball, that was Major League ready to play, was as Drupal Cabrera. And he didn't even play shortstop at the time, Mark. It was in 2007 when they brought him up, and he played second base. Do you think that's his natural position? Second base or shortstop? Second base. You know, I, I have a tough time trying to figure out as Drupal Cabrera. I, I would say, yeah, probably he would be a good second baseman or even a third baseman. I, I don't think he is a pure shortstop. But the fact is about this guy, he has so many mental lapses, not just in the field, but at the plate. He, For some reason, when he comes up with with runners in scoring position, he thinks he has to jump after the first pitch. He does that consistently. He's like, boy, I almost hate to compare him to this guy, but he's almost like Ubaldo Jimenez where he's got it in his head that he's going to do one thing and nobody is going to defer him another direction. And and that's the way... I don't think you're ever going to see Cabrera have a career year. If he was going to have one, it would have been this year. But I think he's a career 250, 260 hitter. He'll hit you 10, 15 home runs, drive in 50 or 60 runs. Now tell me, Mark, is that worth... A $15 million a year contract? No. No. But that's what he expects. Well, I think both teams are, are, are at crossroads, uh, not only for this year, but but looking forward. The Reds' payroll, I, it just scares the hell out of me that they have this much money invested in so few players. And uh, I'm not picking on Homer Bailey. It's not his fault that the Reds signed him to a ridiculous contract. But the guy's 3-3, three and three, has a 544 ERA. He has a whip of 1.58, and the league is hitting 303 against him. He's a guy who should have a 150 or 2 ERA and have a 6-2 you know, and two record uh, you know, based on the amount of money he's making. But again, it's not his fault. But it is the fault of an organization that takes the easy way out and signs a player like that that I don't think anybody in baseball, honest to God, I can't think of another team that would sign Homer Bailey to that kind of contract. And now you've, you've set the standard in, in, your, in your clubhouse. Again, I, I, this is a rhetorical question because I don't know the answer, but if Homer Bailey is worth $100 million, what's Cueto worth? A lot more. Yeah, a tremendous amount more. I, I think Corey Kluber right now is a better pitcher than Homer Bailey. His record doesn't show it, but the way that Corey Kluber has been pitching this year, I think Corey Kluber has found himself, and he's in the upper echelon of pitchers in Major League Baseball. I really believe that. 
and I think Josh Tomlin is also. Now, tomorrow against Detroit, Trevor Bauer is being called up from Columbus, and he's taking over Danny Salazar's spot in the rotation. I told you it wasn't going to be long before Salazar was sent back down, and he was after his start on Friday night against Oakland. He was sent back down to Columbus. He needs to work on another pitch, Mark. He he is just unable to throw a second pitch consistently. His fastball's right there. It's a major league fastball. But he doesn't have a curve, a slider, or a changeup, and he he has to develop one. But as far as Trevor Bauer is concerned, I'm excited to see him pitch tomorrow night. But, Mark, let me tell you something before we get into the Ask Us segment, because I did a little figuring. The Indians had 92 wins a year ago. In order for them to match the 92 wins going into tonight's game that they had in 2013, they will have to finish in the final 118 games 73-45. and 45. That's a winning percentage of 62%. Meanwhile, if Detroit only goes 62-60 and 60 in their last 122 games, They'll have 89 wins, and they'll finish three games behind the Indians. I've never seen a team go 73 and 45, except for that 75 Reds team. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably one exception to that. Uh, you know, I'm looking at these numbers, and, and my, my only condolence or my only ray of hope for Reds fans out there is it is, in fact, only May. And there's a lot of time to go. But absent, absent a move, a substantial move by the Indians and the Reds, these teams are going nowhere. The Indians are 10 games out. The Reds are seven games out. But what's frightening is you look at the, the thing that's very surprising about the Reds so far this year. Their starting pitching has been great. Their bullpen has been abysmal. And you look at these ERAs. Uh, Nick Cristiani, 554. Logan Andrusik, 556. Manny Perra, 6.14. J.J. Hoover, 8.56. Sean Marshall, 12.15. You cannot win in the big leagues with a bullpen like that. So there, there's a lot of fixing that has to be done for this team to be competitive. And, and again, I would, I would say that the, 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 as, as built, the Reds have no opportunity to get out of fourth place in the in the central division of the National League. Well, you just brought up a couple of players that are going to be brought up here in our Ask Us segment. Time for our Ask Us segment on tonight's show. You can get involved with us simply by sending us an email to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can send us a tweet to at ohbbcohost or at alt, U-L-T, sports talk. Mark, Tribe 14 is going to ask us tonight, we've got three questions, one on the Indians, two on the Reds. Let me just ask this one about the Indians, and we'll get to the Reds. Tribe 14 asks, is the Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne signings considered to be bad now? Boy, I'll tell you, Mark, <laughs> Nick Swisher, even though I gave him a ton of credit for last year's team, this year's team, it just does not seem like he can hit the ball out of the infield and is constantly grounding out to second or first right now. I, I'm i at a total loss. Uh, he's been a consistent 
20 to 25 home run guy throughout his career, 80 to 90 RBIs a season. That's what you're paying for. He's not anywhere near that this year. He, he's committing error after error at first base. I, I don't know what you do with this guy. And Michael Bourne, if his hamstring continues to bother him, you have to wonder if that signing was a good one also. So you look at this, Mark, and, and I don't want to say that these two signings were bad for the Indians because they did make it into the playoffs a year ago. And, yes, the season is still young. I'm not ready to pull out the funeral music yet. But these two guys have got to get their act straightened out if the Indians are, have any hope of turning this thing around. Well, this let me throw in there that I, I think, in, number one, I admire the Indians going out and making those trades when they did. They, they, they did what they thought was right. They were aggressive. They tried to do the right thing. And you have to look at trades over the life of the trade. You can't look at one year or a month and a half and say that now is a bad trade where it was a good trade last year. You've got to look at it over three or four years and do the math and say, yeah, that, that trade overall uh, produced the kind of results that we were expecting. Uh, in the case of the Reds, they simply haven't done anything. <laughs> All they've done is spend a lot of money on their existing players, and they've not gone out and, and at least tried to bring somebody else new in. All right, let's move over to the red side on tonight's Ask Us segment. Uh, we get Anonymous writing in here, Mark, and, and wants to know, <coughs> what is the situation with Matt Latos? He heard Marty Brenneman say uh, on the broadcast yesterday, that Latos was going to throw a simulated game sometime this week? Yeah, and he's going to, it's pretty interesting. He's going to be throwing it against Jay Bruce, which I thought was interesting. Uh, so those two guys are going to be challenging each other, and uh, that's kind of fun, actually. I mean, I know a lot of pitchers don't like to pitch against their teammates because they're afraid they're going to hit them. But uh, that should be a pretty interesting uh, day for the Reds. If both of those guys can come back, uh, you know, your, your pitching staff certainly gets better. Uh, based on what I saw yesterday, uh, I would I would dare say they're going to put Sengrani in the bullpen, and probably uh, move Para, you know, back to Triple A if he's got options left. He's got a one six point one four ERA, uh, and, and let him work on his breaking stuff because that's yesterday he hung three or four breaking balls that that I could have hit out, and uh, and I let's not get carried away here. Yeah, I know I lost my head for a minute. Uh, the, the other guy is J.J. Hoover, who I cannot understand how he's still in the big leagues. Uh, he did the same thing that last That leads year. us to our next question, Mark. Good. <laughs> Hot Tamale. Believe it or not, that's the name. Hot Tamale tweets in and says, how is J.J. Hoover still in the major leagues? Really? Honestly? Yeah. <laughs> well, Mr. Tamale or Miss Tamale, and I, for some reason, I hope it's a miss. Uh, having a guy call himself Hot Tamale, I, I just don't, I, I can't buy it. At any rate, I agree with you, whoever you are, uh, that J.J. Hoover does not belong in the big leagues. He's got an 8.56 ERA, he's got a whip of 198, and he he's right now batting practice for a, a reasonably good major league hitter. So you, you've got some movable parts in that bullpen, and if Latos comes back, it's going to have a ripple effect. You move Singrani into the role that Para has, and you, you move Hoover out. Uh, hope you get Sean Marshall back. I, I think you will. He's still trying to find himself after coming off the DL. But one move like that can certainly impact uh, a team's approach. But right now, I think if the Reds, if I could say the Reds make one deal, uh, 
go find somebody to play left field. Uh, and they, Ludwig is not the answer there. He doesn't put the fear of God into anybody. And you need a bat in left field. And my second suggestion is that if you can find a bat at shortstop, which is a heck of a lot harder, you try to do that. But uh, Zach Cozart is playing a great defense. You can't you can't take that away away from him. But he's pretty much helpless at the plate right now. So if you're going to have a Billy Hamilton leading off and hitting 250, you've got to make that up somewhere in the lineup. And right now the Reds don't have it. Mark, I've got to ask you this question because watching Toronto play last week, a name popped into my head as I was watching the Blue Jays, and maybe you're going to know who I'm going to ask you about. Does it hurt when you ever see or hear about the Blue Jays and hear the name Juan Francisco has just hit another home run out of the ballpark? You know, I, I heard that the other day, and I forget how many home runs he has now, uh, but I, I was wondering, is it the same guy, <laughs> or is there a different Francisco out there? Because it's the they, same guy. That's what I was afraid of. Well, how about uh, Edwin Encarnacion, uh, another former Red, uh, led the league in home runs, or, or very close to it last year and the year before. Uh, yeah, the Reds have traded away some power in exchange for defense, and uh, it, Francisco, he hit the longest home run I've ever seen hit in my life at Great American Ballpark. I think it was two years ago. He hit it over the sun deck in right field. I've never seen any. They said it was 515 feet or something like that. I've never seen a ball in my life go that far at any ballpark. So I guess there have been some longer, but that's the longest one I've ever seen. But, again, the only position he could have played for the Reds is third base. And he, he was not a guy that you could trust down there at third at all. Uh, and... So, yeah, I miss his bat, that's for sure. Well, as of right now, the 27-year-old is hitting 292, eight homers, 19 RBIs on the season. I think that would look pretty good in the Reds uniform at third base. Are they DHing him, or is he playing a position? He's playing third base. That's what I thought. He played yeah. all three games All three games at third. Matter of fact, Mark, they moved Brett Lowry from third to second, so Francisco can play third. It's amazing how different organizations will view a player's talent. And the the big Encarnacion, I remember him getting literally booed out of left field or at third base with the Reds because he made 22 errors one year, which is a heck of a lot of errors. But as the nerd I am, I went back and analyzed all 22 of his errors. And how many of those errors actually impacted a win or a loss? Guess how many errors, whether he made them or not, impacted the game? How many? One. He had one <laughs> throwing error in one game against the Mets that the Reds lost that they could have won had he not made the error. Either he made an error in a game the Reds won, where it didn't have any impact, where they won, you know, won the game, and I think of, of those, there was like seven or eight games where he made an error where they lost, but his error did not impact the score. In other words, it didn't lead to a run being scored. So it couldn't have a you know, negative impact on the game other than the pitcher threw more pitches, clearly. But uh, sometimes the defense, and I think the Reds are a, per, a good example this year, not that it's overrated, but you have to put it in the context when those errors come, uh, did the team win anyway? 
And are you getting enough offense from the guy who made the error that the errors he makes do not impact the team's ability to win or lose? And if he's making errors and hitting 210, yeah, you got a problem. But uh, sometimes the defense is that they just look at errors, and it's it's not the only story. Francisco this year, Mark, just to give you an idea, four errors at third base. Yeah, that's the same number as Todd Frazier. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think I think Francisco would be bringing more at the plate. Well, absolutely, and and again, it, Todd Frazier, by everybody's uh, estimation, is the best left fielder the Reds have. So if you if that's the case, uh, you don't need to find another left fielder. You can find a third baseman and put Todd Frazier in left field. Uh, but the Reds are I, I, God. They're so conservative, and they they uh, they play it by the book. And sometimes the book isn't going to win. And I, and I do not blame uh, Brian Price for any of this. He, I think he's a good manager, and he's trying to make changes. He's trying to make do with what he has been given by. Uh, the Reds organization, uh, but but right now he just doesn't have the horsepower. Well, and I don't blame, blame Francona a tremendous amount for all this. I think he's doing what he can do with the lineup the way it is, Mark, whom I blame. Again, it goes back to Mark Shapiro and uh, Chris Antonetti along with the ownership of the Indians. And I'm hoping beyond hope that Mark Shapiro becomes the new baseball commissioner taking over for Bud Selig this year. I would love to have that happen. But speaking of team presidents, let's move away from the Reds and Indians very quickly. Tony LaRusso is back on the field in the game of baseball. Not literally, but he's back with the team. He got named the team president of the Arizona Diamondbacks over the weekend. And my question to you, Mark, is... How much longer does Kirk Gibson have to go as manager of the D-backs? Well, I think Tony would be putting himself in a bad position if he were to come in there and make an immediate knee-jerk move uh, from a team that last year was very, very competitive, in fact, over the last couple years, and that uh, their manager was deemed to have done a great job over the last couple years. Uh, I, I think he's going to give uh, the, the team, the manager, and the players probably the rest of this year. Uh, I, I don't think they're, you're going to throw away a lot of the talent they have there in, in, in the first 30 days. But Tony Roos has got a big ego, and if he thinks this is a chance for him to get back on the bench and turn things around and be the, the hero again, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, I wasn't really talking so much about Larusa becoming manager, but I was thinking, boy, Larusa is going to do something here. I, I think I'm going to go out on the limb and say Kirk Gibson will be gone by the All Star break. Well, if they don't, if they don't pick it up, pick up the pace, and sort of begin winning more, yeah, you're probably right. But I'm not sure that would be a decision that would be Larusa's uh, alone. I think any GM would look at where that team is at the All Star break, and if they're still playing as poorly as they are, yeah, you probably make a change. Uh, the Russa doesn't need the money. Uh, the, the only reason he wants to come back in is he sees an opportunity to, to fix something. And whether that's on the field, maybe short term, he'll come in and say, I'll take it over. Let me learn these players by sitting on the bench with them. 
uh, get my name in the press and, and you know be be the conquering hero again. Uh, that, that that would not surprise me with Larusa, but you know you got to give the guy his due. Uh, he's won three world championships and he's won a lot of ball games. He, he's unconventional to say the least. And uh, if a guy produces, you know you got to put up with a lot of grief. But uh, he, he's got the kind of ego that uh, I think makes him a pretty interesting character. Well, another name I want to throw out to you, Mark. Remember this name, Julio Franco. Oh, sure. Old five for one. Yeah. With with the Indians. He's 55 years old now, and he's joining the Fort Worth Cats of the Independent United League as a player coach for their first homestand, which is this weekend. And he played his last game for Atlanta in 2007 at the age of 49. That, that means he is going to have played, Mark, in five different decades. There's only one other player that has played in six. Do you remember who that is? Minnie Minoso. Minnie Minoso. You can't fool me, Outstanding. Dave. <laughs> oh, I, I, I fooled you a few times. <laughs> Mark, I'll tell you what. If you could surmise it as we wrap up tonight's show, and I know we've talked about this probably ad nauseum, but if you think the Reds are going to do one thing, and I'll answer the same thing about the Indians, but in your mind, if the Reds actually do one thing to help this team out, not what you think they'll do, but what what you think they should do, but what you actually think they will do to improve things, what do you think it will be? They're going to have to trade one of their, their front-line pitchers, whether it's Latos uh, whether it's uh, Chapman, whether it's Cristiani, whether it's Bailey, uh, whether it's uh, Mike Leake, they're going to have to trade one of those pitchers for a hitter, a hitter, a quality major league hitter that can step in and hit third, fourth, or fifth. That's I think it's the only thing they can do that would help this team. But it, it not only is going to help the team on the field, but it's going to help them economically. They cannot have that pitching staff going forward over the next year. But will they? Uh, I think they will. I, I have to give you know the Reds. Uh, I think Mr. Castellini will, will give the okay for that kind of deal. But I don't think they have a choice. They're going to have to go after some young hitting talent, and the only chit they have is starting pitching. And one of those pitchers have to go, if nothing else, because of payroll. My prediction for the Indians is they will trade as Drupal Cabrera at the trade deadline to get whatever they can and bring up Francisco Lindor. And I'm going to say that Greg Mitchell was absolutely correct at the beginning of the year when he told me the reason the, the Indians did not give Justin Masterson the contract that he wanted was they wanted to see where they would be at the trade deadline and then they could trade him for something I think he's right if they're out of it, which I think they're very close to being. This three-game series against Detroit that began tonight, Mark, I hate to say it, it is a season-defining three-game series before Memorial Day. You can't say it's any different. And I really believe, Mark, it's probably not on the same level as the Indians and Tigers, but this weekend when the Reds face St. Louis, 
it's almost the same thing for the Reds. Well, the difference, though, is that the Reds are facing a second-place ball club as opposed to a first-place ball club. Uh, you're right. If, if, if the Reds are seven games out, the Indians ten. The Indians could be 13 games out uh, in the middle of May, and you're right. that The season's over at that point. Mm-hmm. So what have the Reds got going? They're in, they're in Washington tonight. What do they got the rest of the week? they got St. Louis coming up on the weekend, and then they head out on the road again. But uh, these next six games, they're going to face some very, very good pitching. And I, I don't, I don't think there is. I, I predicted the Reds should have gone four and two last week. I think they could go one and five or even zero oh and six this week. I, I just don't think they have any offense to combat the, the pitching they're going to face. This week for the Indians, it's a killer week. This, this is going to define the season. They've got three games with Detroit tonight, tomorrow, Wednesday afternoon, and then they travel to Baltimore to face the Orioles Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday afternoon, and then on Memorial Day next Monday, they're in Chicago to face the White Sox. A killer week. Don't forget next week's Memorial Day, Mark. We'll talk to you then. Have a good week, Dave. You too, Mark. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget to join us for the Ultimate Sports Talk Show Thursday night at 7 o'clock. We'll be back with you next Monday night for Memorial Day at 9 o'clock on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer. But most of all, our thanks to you for listening here this evening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next week, good night, everybody.